Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. Agroplante is the leading manufacturer in specialty products. Agroplante formulates products that rise to the challenge of today's growing conditions. Saline and sodic soils reduce crop yield and cause significant crop losses. Agroplante developed Cation EX5 Plus with growers in mind to manage soil salinity. With multiple years of research, Cation EX5 Plus has proven to be an excellent source of calcium and an effective soil salinity manager. Run it through drip irrigation without any issues. Simplify your application method with innovative and efficient formulations. Alleviate salinity stress with Cat Ion EX5 Plus. Agroplante. Imagination. Innovation. Science in action. Earlier this year, Rancho California Water District in Riverside County received funding from the Department of Water Resources Urban Community Drought Relief Program for two projects that promote agriculture and groundwater conservation in Southern California. Rancho Water's agriculture project called Crop Swap was awarded $5 million and has converted 160 acres of water-intensive plants to drought-resilient and climate-appropriate crops. This program pays agricultural water users to switch to lower water use crops to put less strain on water supplies as well as support local farmers. Crop Swap will save nearly 9,000 acre feet of water per year, which furthers the goal of water conservation and sustainability. Their groundwater storage expansion project includes building a 48 acre recharge pond that can store 10,000 acre feet of water per year. DWR added $6.8 million towards this project, which will significantly increase water supply for Rancho Water customers. Groundwater serves as a crucial water supply source for Californians. When surface water supply is low during dry or drought years, the water stored below in aquifers can be used instead. Groundwater is used for drinking water as well as supplying water for farms and businesses. The Urban Community Drought Relief Program is one of several financial assistance programs under the Goal Golden Initiative, which strives to help communities and water agencies implement projects that address water infrastructure repairs, water conservation, well rehabilitation, and fish and wildlife protection as California prepares for a changing climate. For more information about upcoming grant opportunities, visit DWR's Grants and Loans webpage. Wade Kershenman, the chairman of the California Fresh Fruit Association Board of Directors, announced that Daniel Hartwig has been selected to serve as the association's new president. Hartwig will succeed Ian LeMay, who has held the position since 2019, and will depart CFFA to assume the role of the president and CEO of the California Table Grape Commission. According to CFFA, Hartwig has extensive experience in both the private sector and within agriculture associations. Since 2014, Hartwig has been employed by Wolf Enterprises First as a procurement manager and most recently as our director of sustainability. Hartwig is a recent graduate of the California Agricultural Leadership Program. He will begin his tenure as CFFA president on December 4th. Church Brothers Farms, based in Salinas, has announced that Martin Sotelo has joined a company as Senior Director of Raw Product Procurement. Sotelo has more than 13 years' experience in the produce industry. Most recently, he served as Ag Ops Manager for Taylor Farms Retail, where he was responsible for procurement and Ag Ops in both Mexico and the United States. In his new role, Sotelo will support raw product procurement activities through the global organization, which aligns with the company's business strategy of developing a supply chain that ensures a continuous and coordinated supply of raw material. 
America's Healthy Nut is on track to have a healthy harvest as this year's U.S. pistachio crop is already 15% larger than first expected. What was estimated to be a 1.3 billion pound crop could surpass 1.5 billion pounds as receipts by early November totaled more than 1.48 billion pounds on reports of excellent quality and size. The largest crop on record was harvested two years ago. U.S. growers that year produced 1.16 billion pounds of pistachios. California produces about 99% of the crop. The rest are produced in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. It's been a difficult year for U.S. almond growers, according to BASF Technical Service Representative Dr. Kevin Caffrey. The excess of moisture early in the year led to greener hills, bringing with them an unexpected surge in pests attacking the crops. However, bloom diseases such as jacket rot were heavy this year. Whole rot popped out of nowhere. He says you could drive by and see trees with 50% strikes, just dead branches from how much whole rot came in. Insect damage was also significant, with increased damage from navel orange rootworm and leaf-rooted plant bug. There were also reports of higher-than-average ant damage. Dr. Caffrey said that growers in many instances were looking to save money by cutting out some sprays. However, with nuts coming off the tree, many are noticing significant damage rates. Governor Gavin Newsom joined state and local leaders to unveil a state-of-the-art tree nursery and education center that previously was vacant and was in a blighted lot near a highly visible intersection in San Francisco. This is one of 3,275 clean California sites cleaned statewide under the governor's $1.2 billion multi-year effort led by Caltrans to remove trash, create thousands of jobs, and engage communities to revitalize public spaces. The $3.5 million revitalization project highlighted was designed in partnership with Caltrans, the San Francisco Department of Public Works, and the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. At the ribbon-cutting ceremony, Governor Newsom announced a major milestone for Clean California since its launch in July of 2021. Caltrans has cleared more than 2 million cubic yards of litter from California roadways, enough litter to span the length of the Golden Gate Bridge 670 times, and the program has employed 8,700 people. Located at the intersection of 80 and 5th Street in San Francisco, this active tree nursery will offer visitors unique opportunities to learn about the benefits of trees for people and the environment, including the chance to engage with arborists. To find out more about Clean California, log on to cleanca.com. A major mushroom farm in Florida is set to close for good by next year, leaving over 200 workers without jobs. Monterey Mushrooms, headquartered in California, announced its farm in Zellwood is scheduled to permanently close by January. The company reportedly ships over 200 million pounds of mushrooms annually. Pandemic restrictions, resulting inflation, weather impacts, and other market changes have prompted Monterey Mushrooms to close down its Zellwood location. In addition to the Orlando, Florida location, the company will also close its location in Princeton, Illinois. The Orange County location was responsible for shipping fresh mushrooms both in Florida and in the southeastern U.S. Production will instead shift to the company's other seven mushroom farms as the company invests in those locations. As a result, all 214 of the Florida farm workers will be laid off. According to FreshPlaza.com, strawberry supplies are tight right now in North America. Picking had been happening in the northern regions such as Salinas and Watsonville, as well as Santa Maria, but that is coming to an end. At the same time, strawberry production is ramping up in the southern growing regions, including Southern California with Oxnard and Mexico. It is anticipated to pick up in just a few weeks, though minimal picking is happening right now. Notably, strawberry quality is being closely monitored due to the windy conditions in Oxnard and Hurricane Otis in Mexico. 
Mexico. Both conditions can bruise and damage the fruit, so packing has been watched closely and less fruit is going into the packs. Demand for strawberries has been strong, which is typical for this time of the year and is also exceeding supply. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way, where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a human touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. The spotted lanternfly, or SLF, which is an invasive pest in many parts of the eastern United States and is spreading westward, has multiple cultivated and wild hosts in California. The black walnut and other Juglandaceae members are common hosts of SLF. The cultivated English walnut and the endemic California walnut are among the important hosts that could harbor SLF populations and are at risk if the pest invades California. The extent of SLF risk to various cultivated hosts, potential economic losses, and the distribution of wild and cultivated hosts that support SLF populations was determined recently by generating various maps using crop data from the state and various counties by UCCE's Surendra Dara and UCCE's Roland C. Boko. Dara, now at Oregon State University, explained a bit about the pest in general, including some of its biology. Spotted lanternfly is actually a plant hopper. Um, it's uh, a, a pretty insect. It is about one inch uh, long with uh, bright colors and uh, spots. So it looks uh, like a very pretty insect, but it is also a dangerous insect because of the host range and uh, the damage it can cause to some of the important uh, uh, cultivated uh, crops we have in California or elsewhere. Um, it is um, a hemipteran insect. So the life stages include eggs, which are covered by a protective coating and it overwinters in the egg stage. So it works out well. Uh, then it has four nymphal instars. The first three are dark with the black with white markings and the fourth instar is, has red and white and black markings. Then you have males and females. So it has only one generation per year um, in, in its um, you know, typical native environment or the new environment in the you know, Eastern United States. So what um, eggs are laid um, from September to December, and then egg period continues for several months. So they hatch um, in spring, spring to summertime. Then again, you have adults uh, late spring to, um, I mean, late summer to fall. So this is its life cycle. And obviously when it moves to a warmer uh, climate, like uh, something like California, we don't know exactly what happens to its life cycle. Uh, it will de definitely shorten, but would it have multiple generations? Uh, we don't know, Pro probably not. Let us hope it does not uh, have that situation. According to Dara, research shows that the spotted lanternfly has 22 uncultivated hosts and 70 cultivated hosts in the state of California, and that that list could change as more research is done. Some of the cultivated hosts uh, in California are apples, apricots, um, cherries, 
grapes, the most important one. And then we have peaches, pears, persimmons, plums, pomegranates, roses, uh, and walnuts. So th these are already quite a few important crops and just blue, um, just uh, grapes and walnuts are um, uh, quite a bit, uh, you know, the, the, the five billion, more than $5 billion um, of uh, uh, crop value just for two commodities. Dara and Boko used county crop reports to determine SLS risk levels and data were entered into a spreadsheet and maps were generated using QGIS open source software. These maps show the distribution of cultivated walnuts in various counties and the level of risk based on acreage value and production volume. These mapping was done both for cultivated hosts and wild hosts. Cultivated hosts are easy to track because we know where they're grown, how much of an acreage they have and the value. Uh, but for wild hosts, it is uh, based on multiple reports and some, some estimation was also there. So coming to the risk of spotted lantern flight to walnuts, uh, we have three sets of maps. Um, it is based on the acreage then it is based on the value of walnuts in different counties and then uh, yield. Uh, so let us quickly look at uh, acreage. Based on the acreage, um, San Joaquin uh, County is at very high risk, followed by Tulare and Butte counties, and then uh, Stanislaus and uh, Glen and Sutter counties are at uh, moderate risk. So we, we have these um, levels, and then there are other counties that are at a low risk or very low risk. And then coming to the value, uh, then we have Butte and San Joaquin at very high risk because of the value uh, of um, walnuts produced in these two counties. Uh, then we don't have anything with the high risk, then the counties with moderate risk are Stanislaus, Glen, Sutter, and Tulare. And uh, low-risk counties are Kings, Yuba, Colusa, and Tehama. Then the rest of the state is at a very low level of risk. As for some of the earlier parameters being taken for this pest, importing natural enemies from the native country of the invasive pests that are very specific to the targeted invasive pest and releasing them in the new area of invasion is one of the common approaches. Although various species of imported biocontrol agents are currently under investigation, they don't seem to be an immediate option due to some host specificity concerns. However, several researchers are working on various integrated pest management strategies to manage SLF, according to Dara. Multiple people have been working on various aspects. Uh, for example, I have been working on the outreach, and then we have uh, other UC researchers working on ex exploring biocontrol options. When we have an invasive pest like spotted lanternfly, uh, classical biological control is usually the uh, you know, best solution for long-term and area-wide control. So um, egg, our nymphal parasitoids are being examined and if they are found host-specific, that means they are going to attack only uh, spotted lanternfly. Uh, we have the possibility of them um, being released for spotted land fly control. Um, but research in terms of applied research, other than that, we are not doing any applied research in California because we don't have the pest yet. 
but uh, CDFA is uh, has put spotted lanternfly on the watch list, and they, they're working on you know looking at various ways to mitigate its uh, uh, invasion. Uh, okay. But more than that, everybody has to take part because this is not just an agricultural pest. It can hitchhike on vehicles and arrive on packages and everything that is coming from in infested areas. So more than the government, everybody, uh, it is every citizen's responsibility to uh, be aware of this pest, be able to identify the, uh, you know, mobile stages or egg stages and then report to the concerned authorities. In terms of what growers of potentially affected commodities by spotter and lanternfly can do at the moment, the answer is simple. Continue supporting industry research to help against spotter lanternfly and create awareness for the pest. Research is being done with the help of collaboration with growers, but not necessarily in California, but in general everywhere. Um, that that has been a major part of addressing any uh, pest issue, uh, then they could contribute to increasing um, the awareness of spotted lanternfly. Uh, when we have an agricultural pest, it is uh, typically growers, researchers, and you know, concerned uh, entities that are involved in addressing it. But this pest uh, can attack a uh, uh, plants in the landscape areas and the backyards every, everywhere. So it is not just a, a, an agricultural pest, but it is also a huge nuisance pest for urban areas too. Uh, because of that, growers, um, growers, several growers are already aware of the pest and what's being uh, done, but they could also contribute to increasing the impact of outreach by you know, communicating to their friends and other people and uh, um, basically, we want everybody in California to be aware of the pest, be able to identify and delay its invasion as much as possible. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. Leaders of the House and Senate Agriculture Committees came to an agreement on extending the lifespan of the 2018 Farm Bill by one year. The agreement came with the release of a House Republican proposal funding USDA operations through January 19th. A 32-page continuing resolution contained 17 pages on Farm Bill extension and provided some funding for small-ticket programs that had run out, such as feral swine eradication. Dairy subsidies would be extended through December 31st of 2024 to avert a looming dairy cliff on January 1st. Leaders from both ag committees say the extension in no way substitutes in place of a five-year farm bill. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson revealed a two-part funding package that would provide money for some federal operations, including USDA, for two months through February 2nd for the rest of the government. The extension depends on the House, Senate, and White House agreement on the continuing resolution. USDA Deputy Secretary Zoshiel Torres-Small announced the agency is starting a new effort to support producers in the U.S. specialty crop sector and increase its competitiveness. She says we all count on America's specialty crops for reliable access to nutritious, fresh foods. As part of the new effort, USDA has compiled useful information on its programs and services that support the specialty crops industry into a specialty crops resource directory, she says. 
The directory will be a one-stop shop for the sector and contains a comprehensive snapshot of USDA's resources and services for specialty crop producers and businesses in one convenient location. Also, USA leadership will directly engage with the specialty crop industry and its producers during the next several months to get feedback on how the department can better address gaps in services and meet the industry's needs. A new webpage on the initiative is available at USDA.gov. Recent data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture provides an update on foreign investment in U.S. agricultural lands. Farm News reporter Michael Clements has the story. USDA's latest report on foreign-owned farmland in the United States shows foreign investors own less than 2% of all land in the country. Danny Munch, American Farm Bureau Federation economist, says foreign owners of farmland are required to report their investments by the Agricultural Foreign Investment Disclosure Act. USDA publishes the results from those reports from the two years prior. So the most recent data we have is 2021 data. In 2021, 40 million acres, or 3.1% of all privately held agricultural land, was owned by by foreign investors. Munch says Canadian investors own the largest portion of foreign-held U.S. farmland. With almost a third of that, or 0.97% of all U.S. ag land, following Canada, investors from the Netherlands own 0.37% of U.S. ag land, Italy 0.21%, the United Kingdom 0.19%, and Germany 0.17%. Those five countries make up over half of all U.S. ag land owned by foreign investors. While a lot of attention regarding foreign-owned farmland is focused on China, the country ranks 18th with 0.03% of foreign investor-held land. A way to look at this is about the size of a single average-sized county in Ohio. Almost half of all foreign-owned ag land in the United States is timberland. In states like Maine, Michigan, Alabama, and Louisiana, over 85% of their foreign-owned ag land is all forest land. And when we look at the types of companies, the leading investors are timber and paper companies and renewable energy companies investing in land for solar and wind projects. Learn more on the Market Intel page at fb.org. Michael Clements, Washington. Today, we catch up with Chris Galen, Senior Vice President of Member Services and Governance with the National Milk Producers Federation for a Farm Bill update. As the current Farm Bill nears its expiration this Friday, there's an urgency to secure an extension to allow continued discussions on a new bill. The looming threat of a government shutdown adds further tension as it could make or break the passing of the extension. There's hope, and then there's the reality of experience, which is that they just don't have a lot of days here. And it takes time because there's been no action yet by the full House or the Senate, for that matter, on a farm bill. Even once you pass a bill through the House and then the Senate would pass a separate bill, you still have to end up with a compromise single version that passes both chambers. And the amount of time it would take to get that done in, in December, say, uh, it, it just isn't there. So rather than let programs expire, they're going to do the extension. While improbable, Galen says the absence of a farm bill could lead to a dairy cliff. This scenario would revert back to 1940s agriculture law, disrupting the marketplace and causing price support programs to escalate. Now, they've talked about a 12-month extension, which, you know, depending on when that happens, maybe could take us into October or November next year. But I think the more likely scenario right now is an extension through the current government fiscal year, which uh, ends next September 30th. Chris Galen with the National Milk Producers Federation. 
During a recent presentation, Bill Anderson, Bear CEO, says it goes without saying that despite some of the great things you've heard about, they're not happy with this year's performance. The head of Bear confirmed the company is not only exploring a complete restructuring of its business, but is expected to make staff cuts and take other measures in the coming year. Bear has assembled a team, including financial advisors from outside the company, that is evaluating all restructuring options. The company is not wedded to one particular structure, he said. However, Bear has already eliminated the idea of splitting the company into three businesses. Some shareholders have called for Bear to split into three separate businesses, which would be crop science, consumer health, and pharmaceuticals. Anderson said the company continues to consider splitting either crop science or consumer health away from the other two divisions within Bear. CHS Incorporated, one of the nation's largest agribusinesses, reported a net income of $1.9 billion for the fiscal year ending on August 31st, compared to $1.7 billion for fiscal year 2022. Key drivers included consolidation revenues of $45.6 billion for fiscal year 2023, compared to $47.8 billion for fiscal year 2022. In the company's ag segment, robust meal and oil demand contributed to higher earnings. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Nut Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Thank you.